Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. There's a lot of mythology out there about the value of confidence, right? Confidence is just perception. It's the perception of what your competence is. And so in both scenarios, people are misevaluating their actual competencies and then their confidence gets off wildly. And then the problem is we make decisions on how we feel, right? So the overconfident person, the overconfident trader is going to put on position sizes that are way too big relative to their, their bankroll. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, we have a special lesson for you. I'm putting it here on the podcast because I really believe that this is going to provide you massive, massive value. And that's what I'm trying to do here. And hey, listen, if this podcast was useful to you at all, I really highly suggest that you go check out the full trading course at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Markets are people. People are predictable. Outlier can show you how to track market fear and greed with artificial intelligence on over 1,300 of the largest market cap names. Visit outlier.com to learn more. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. They have a free pilot program for the rest of 2021 so you can get access to right now at O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, we have a pretty special guest online, author Jared Tindler. He is the author of the new bestseller, and if it's not a bestseller yet, it will be soon, The Mental Game of Trading. He has also written several other books on um, you know, mental stages, including uh, poker books. And I think that we have a ton to learn from Jared today. And before we get started, make sure you head on over to jaredtindler.com. He has a free ebook that he wants to give you called uh, Tapping to Tap into the Power of Your Intuition. Jared, thanks so much for coming on the show today. This is, uh, this is really great. I've got a lot of different areas that we could go down today. Yeah. Hell yeah, Chris. Good to, good to meet you. Good to, good to talk to you. Yeah. So, all right. So give me some background about who you are, where, where, where you got the idea of going into the mental aspect of, of trading and poker and, and everything there is about Jared to, to learn. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say it's sort of a traditional, like entrepreneurial type, you know, starts like had a problem and, you know, couldn't find answers and, you know, kind of sought them to, to, to create a a new business. Um, So, you know, as a, as an aspiring professional golfer, I was, you know, kind of ramping up, um, had a good freshman year of college, won a couple of tournaments, uh, went to go qualify for the U S open, um, played the best game of my life, uh, you know, tee to green, uh, and then basically kind of choked over the, the, the short putts, which, you know, putting was my weakness, but, you know, pressure kind of always exposes it. And, you know, so it happens once you think it's a one-off, but then in major kind of national events, I kept, I kept choking, um, you know, was a three-time all American in college, won nine tournaments eventually. But, you know, in, in the kind of the bright spotlights of trying to qualify for the U.S. Open, the U.S. Amateur, 
um, some of these big events, I just was underperforming. And so, you know, the idea of playing professional golf at that point was kind of a, a bit too much of a gamble. So I, I sort of just, and, and sorry, and kind of during that phase, I was diving into sports psychology and, you know, this is back in the late nineties trying to find answers and they did help, but not in those critical moments. And so I figured, I mean, there's gotta be other people like me, you know, kind of a naturally selected out of the game because we don't have the chops to hang in those big moments, but still have the, you know, the technical proficiency to be able to play. Um, so I, I, I kind of reasoned that, um, you know, therapists have the ability to kind of dig deep into people's problems. And so if I can kind of combine that with traditional sports psychology, uh, then maybe I'd have something of unique value. Um, and so I went and got a master's degree in counseling psychology at Northeastern, got, a, got spent two years getting licensed as a therapist, right? Basically four years of work to get training, never intending to do what most people do at the end of that, that process. As soon as I got my license, quit my job, moved to Arizona and started up my golf practice, working with juniors and some tour players uh, down in Arizona and built up a good practice. And then suddenly, you know, meet a, meet a professional poker player on the golf course. And, and, you know, he kind of opens me up to this whole world of, you know, online poker. And, you know, at that point, um, you know, there's nobody doing what I'm doing right in golf. There's lots of other sports psychologists working in, in poker. There's nobody. So I had this sort of open runway to, you know, kind of make it what it's making my own. And, you know, wrote the books that you mentioned a couple of years later, a bunch of traders start picking up the book saying, Hey, you know, cross off the word poker and change it to trading. It all applies. And so now all of a sudden, you know, eight years ago, I start building up a trading, uh, you know, clientele and including some institutional firms, um, you know, none of who I can mention because NDAs, but um, you know, and then, you know, three years ago, I'm, I, I, I both for a reason to, to kind of bring in, bring myself into a new market, but also because I, man, I got, I have to write in order to get all of my ideas consolidated. Um, and I knew how much I grew as a coach from writing the first poker book. And, and the same thing has happened now uh, in writing this trading book. So three years ago, it was both a, you know, let's get into a new market, but also uh, I need to consolidate my system and systematize it even more. And, you know, the book kind of became the venue to be able to do that. So, so golf led you to poker, which led you to trading that that's somewhat of a a roundabout way to get there. Where do you feel that the, your interests lie? Is it still in golf? And that's kind of like your, your pastime or, or have you evolved into trading? You tell me. I'd say I've evolved into a coach that aspires to be as, as great as I can, you know, as much as my aspirations of winning us opens wars and golf, right. You know, those dreams have kind of morphed into being the best coach that I can be. And, and I think what's cool is that, you know, I knew golf so much golf was kind of like a, a spot where I could be effective on multiple levels, but when you're not a poker player and you're not a trader, um, I also should mention that for four years, I was the head of sports psychology for team liquid, uh, one of the largest esport organizations in the world. So, you know, sort of three big industries of which I had familiarity. I mean, I've been, you know, I've traded and, you know, been in the stock market for, you know, 25 some odd years, right. Since I was a kid and, you know, being involved in it, right. Watch the stock market, have portfolios for years, you know, played poker, played video games, right? So I have familiarity with these industries, but, you know, there's a massive difference between that. So three industries where I have, you know, not the ability that I did in golf to be able to be effective, you know, it sort of kind of strips you naked and says like, you better have the chops to be able to be influential with these people because otherwise, you know, they're going to eat you for, for lunch. And especially poker was like that. I mean, very new industry means there's a lot of skepticism, you know, you're just selling snake oil to these people. And so, 
they're not going to just like roll over and say, yeah, whatever you say is the best thing since sliced bread. So you got to have something of real value. And, and I think being in these three different industries has kind of like helped me to hone my system with even more sort of precise or with, with even more precision um, versus if I kind of just stayed in golf, I would have been able, able to, you know, kind of cheat the system in a sense because I knew so much about the, the game. Mm, I get you. I hear where that's coming from. So where do you feel that, because because you mentioned something a minute ago about snake oil and this industry in particular, I feel is is ripe for that, right? Um, I don't know if you get the same YouTube ads as I do, but you know, you get the 19 year old who's screaming at you saying, buy all my courses for $9. And, uh, you know, the it's uh, 19, 27 hours of, of no breakout bull pullback BS strategy. And by the time you get done, you'll be a professional trader. And there's so many people who, who buy into the idea. It is an overnight success. And I've been fortunate enough to talk to some of the, the greatest traders in the world in this program, and they'll tell you the exact opposite. And it's certainly what I went through. It was, you spend three, four, five, and uh, you know, some cases, eight years figuring out what not to do. And at some point it just clicks and then everything it becomes, okay, I know everything, what not to do. <laughs> All that's left is what to do, right? Where do you think that most traders and younger, maybe not necessarily younger, but, but more novice people who get into this world uh, go wrong? Because you think about somebody like yourself who went to uh, school for years to feel like you had the credentials and the authority to write these books. But then again, somebody takes a, uh, a weekend seminar and they learn the, the, the three simple patterns to you know, overnight success in the stock market. How do, we how, would, how do we overcome this? I mean, I think a lot of it is just being really honest about like what your skill set is what you, and what your motivations are. I think a lot of people that you're talking about that are going to buy those courses, they want to be seduced. Right. They want to think that they're out there buying a lottery ticket right? and that that lottery ticket actually has better probabilities of paying off than than somebody else just because of some, you know, inherent uh, part of their psyche right, or part of their character. Right. So, yeah, I think that that stuff does not sell if there's not a market for it. And the reason there's a market for it is because people want to believe that you can become the overnight success. And I think, you know, when you look at what the, the, the difference between trading and poker versus professional golf, there are no barriers to entry. You, you've got cash. You can play with the big boys. Yes. You can enter a PGA tour event. You know, the, the PGA tour basically has like some, in some cases, decades long of vetting of players in order to get there. You know, it's not like you can just say, Oh, you know, today I want to be a PGA tour player and tomorrow you can tee it up. But in, in trading and in poker, you can do that. Mm -hmm. and, and it really does kind of, feed into like a general psyche in society where people can win the lottery and the media helps to feed that as well. Right. They, we pay attention to, you know, the traders on CNBC who have made millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and, and we lionize them and we, we worship them and we want to do exactly what they can do. And we hear them talk and we think, Oh, I, I can do I Why can't I do that too? Right. And, and there's not clear, you know, uh, barriers to being able to do that, right? I think in large measure, lots of people can can be very successful. Can you be the elite of the world? That's a different question because there's now we're talking about certain traits and characteristics and and things that I think are not inherent in everybody. I don't think that everybody can be, you know, one of the best traders in the world, the best poker players in the world, the best golfers in the world. Um, but right, 
there's not a lot of uh, barriers except you got to understand what that person went through. And you said it exactly right. We don't, we don't pay attention to the eight years of suffering, right? We, we don't look at the number of traders, right? The, the media is not covering, right? All of the traders who fail because nobody's interested in that, mm-hmm. right? We, there's like a collective desire to be deluded. And I think that's, that's where the honesty really has to, has to take place because you have to be different to be successful. And that's, that's just a math thing because only a few are. Right. Especially in this industry. So, you know, you got to ask yourself, right. Am I thinking differently and, and not thinking like the masses? And, you know, I think a, a lot of people don't even think to have that question. They don't, you know, there's a, uh, have you ever heard of the Dunning Kruger effect? I've heard of it, but I don't know it. So, I mean, this is, everybody needs to know the Dunning Kruger effect because you need to know kind of where you, where you fit on the spectrum. So the Dunning Kruger effect has kind of two sides to it. Okay. So one side is, people become overconfident because they're so underskilled that they don't even recognize what their weaknesses are. So this is obviously the traders we're talking about who's going to buy those BS courses for nothing. But they're also like the American Idol contestants who think they have an amazing voice and they go on there and they're just God awful, right? They, do, they lack the skill to recognize how bad they are. And so they become overconfident. And then on the flip side, you've got traders who've been trading for three to five years and they're kind of in that phase where they're, maybe getting some skill, you know, finding opportunities in pockets where they're successful, certain markets, you know, kind of tick the boxes, but then they, you know, and so they falsely assume that everybody else knows what they know. And so they become underconfident because they don't think they have anything of real value yet. And so here you have people with incredible confidence and people with very low confidence and neither are accurate. Right. And, and so there's a lot of mythology out there about the value of confidence, right? And confidence is just perception. It's the perception of what your competence is. And so in both scenarios, people are misevaluating their actual competencies and then their confidence gets off wildly. And then the problem is we make decisions on how we feel, right? So the overconfident person, the overconfident trader is going to put on position sizes that are way too big relative to their, their bankroll, relative to their account size. And then conversely, the underconfident trader is going to put position sizes on there way too small. And there's obviously many, many other decisions that got kind of off because our confidence is off. But again, you know, we're talking about like the deluded people. We're talking about the overconfident people. You know, society is, is, is an interesting one because 75% of people on average believe that they have above average intelligence above average sense of, uh, of humor or attractiveness. So on average, people tend to be overconfident. They tend to be unaware of their own skill set. So I think, you know, anybody that's listening to this, that's not really sure where you stand. If you don't recognize the risks in some of the decisions that you're making, you're overconfident, right? That by, by and large, that's like one of the easiest ways that you can self-evaluate and understand if you're, if you're being a bit deluded about a decision to buy a particular product or a decision about a particular trade. If you can't see the risks, you're, you're overconfident. So, you know, the, the stats are that 90% of traders blow out their accounts within the first 90 days of uh, opening their, uh, I said it wrong, 90% of traders lose 90% of their account within the first 90 days of opening it. That's it. Um, I was in that, right? I, I did, uh, I, I actually... So somebody told me this one time, they're like, Chris, look, you beat the stats. You did good. I lost 67% of my account in 60 days. And they're like, Hey man, that's not 90%. You did good. <laughs> but, 
But at the same time, I was like, this is for me. I don't care. I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to come back uh, harder and stronger. Right. And I've blown out my account twice and I'll never let that happen again, because as we said earlier, I have found every way to lose money. And then all that's left is the ways to make money. Right. What would you tell somebody who they want to get into this? Right. They're, they're a, a novice trader. They, they hear a podcast and they're like, Hey, these guys, they sound pretty smart. I'm pretty smart. I'm, I'm one of the 75% of people who think I'm smarter than the rest. I can get into trading. What would you say to them before they've had a chance? And this is key, really. Before they've had a chance to develop the uh, poor habits, before they've had a chance to find out every way to lose money, how would you start them off in the right way? Because like, I feel like that never happens. Everyone has to have what I, what I like to call that. I refer to it all the time as their Wall Street tuition, right? You walk in. You know, you, you expect to, to pay for college, but you never expect to pay for your Wall Street education to learn how to trade. But when you do, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'm not going to make that, that mistake again. What would you tell somebody who is uh, coming in and, like I said, hasn't developed those bad habits yet? So you're still going to pay for education one way or the other, right? So maybe the education is actually paying for the more expensive courses because they're the ones that are going to teach you more, or maybe not, right? But at, you know, at the outset, right, you need to be able to have um, some kind of clarity on what you're trying to do. So if you're smart, that's cool. But think of that like talent, right? We'd think about like that, like the talent we'd see with athletes, right? It's just the mechanism by which you can acquire competence, right? Intelligence is not the thing that you end up trading on. You trade on knowledge, you trade on your competencies, you trade on your experience, and all of those inform you on where your opportunities are. Right. And it doesn't matter how smart you are. You're not going to see what traders see because they've trained the vision for them to be able to see that, you know, through experience and over time. So that's the number one. Number two is um, a lot of a lot of new traders, you know, I, I don't think make the most of my system. I think my system is really designed for more experienced traders. However, um, and I, I guess the reason I say that is because at a certain point, like you need to know, you know, where the failures are in your execution of your system and strategy. That's where my work tends to be the most effective up until that point, until you have a system or strategy, what you're really, you know, emotionally reacting to is the lack of competency, right? So, you know, I talk in the, in the fear chapter about a client who um, his breakthrough came when I told him that for him right now, trading was 90% technical and 10% mental. He was having a ton of hesitation and second guessing, you know, at the point of entry and, and, you know, was not getting into, not getting into these trades. He was staying on the sidelines of, of trades that he sort of quote should have been in. And the reason was because even though he was a discretionary trader, right, there was still a lot that he could sort of systematize and become more, more rule-based. And by asking the right questions in those spaces and doing a lot more backtesting and research, he was able to kind of smooth out uh, that knowledge and, and all the fear went away. So, in the early stages, you know, there is a lot of emotion from losing that creates anger. And sometimes you're going to have greed as you see other traders making money and you're not or FOMO, or there's other types of fears uh, that can emerge. You might go through these swings of confidence where you feel like you're getting it. You feel like you're losing it, but all of that might not be based off of deeper flaws, which is where the bulk of my system comes in. Maybe it's just because it, that's the inherent kind of ups and downs of learning, but there's a third element here that's important, which is that Early on, if you've developed bad habits and some of these flaws that I talk about in the book from other aspects of your life, 
right? Other performance environments, whether that was through the educational system, whether that was through competitive sports or in business, right? And you've come out, kind of developed some of these bad habits. They are typically, they're very likely to show up in trading in some way, shape or form. So you can kind of go through a rigorous analysis of yourself to see where are my psychological weaknesses? What, what, are, what is more likely to, go, to, 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 show, to, to show up um, if I lose 50% of my account? Um, if I uh, don't make money for, for a month or two months on end, um, if I make a ton of money really quickly, right? And you kind of pose different scenarios for yourself and you kind of ask yourself, how am I likely to react to these types of situations? And you begin to kind of create a, a, a you know, profile that, that allows you to move through the learning process a little bit more sequentially, a little bit less through these kind of big ups and downs. But at the end of the day, you're never going to be able to sidestep the reality that there's going to be times where there's going to be euphoria and pain and, and that's just a reality. So we're going to not like kind of avoid those situations. We're going to do our best to kind of understand that, you know, here are the kind of the fundamental principles for how we want to be as a trader, right? You want to be very focused on what's happening in the market and being aware of the biases that we are imprinting in the market that color our perspective. If you're aware of that early on, right, even so much as to say, that you think you know what's going to happen, right? Just some of the basics or, or you know, some of these expectations of, of profiting or the expectations of losing, right? You enter a trade, you know, you lost the last five and all of a sudden now you're expecting to lose the sixth, right? If you're aware that that expectation is BS, right? Early on, again, we can start to round out some of the emotional volatility, uh, but it, it takes work. I mean, I think no matter where you are um, mentally, technically, uh, it, it takes a lot of work to get there. So having, having that kind of perspective early on, you know, gives you a, a, maybe a longer time horizon for how you're going to maybe budget your, your capital accordingly. Uh, let me, let me follow up on, on something you said just a minute ago. So, uh, you know, let's say you've got the five trades in a row that you've lost. And, um, this is, so this is something that goes on through my mind, right? So I backtest everything before I, before I enter any position, I always backtest, make sure my strategy works on that stock, right? Cause there's so many times where I've pulled up a stock. I'm like, everything looks set up, run a quick backtest. It has a negative expectancy, right? Um, and so I'm like, skip, not even worried about it. But then there's the stocks that, that Mondelez has been eat my lunch, MDLZ. And I've gotten in the stock five or six times this year. Every single time it's been a loser. But I know that with my strategy and the back-tested data, that if I don't take the next setup for it, because it does have the positive expectancy, that could be the one time that overrides all the others. Am I, am I mentally in the right space there? 100%. Yeah. I mean, okay. that's, that's, where, that's, that's where like the, the technical knowledge really can become a massive buffer for some of this emotional stress, right? Like that's... That's what we're talking about. Like when you have certainty in a lot of these areas, it takes away from, you know, again, that emotional volatility that's going to impair your judgment and ultimately impair the decisions and execution, which, you know, cost you money because yeah, you're in a probabilistic game. You're not, you don't know what the outcome is of the next trade. You just know that it has positive expectancy. So how are you going to best realize that expectancy? Take the damn trade. You have to, right? Because it could be that particular one that pays for all the others. Exactly. So whenever you are talking to your clients and um, actually, let me back up. One of the things that I do, and I told you, I was going to ask you some, some personal questions, try and yeah. try and get a psychological evaluation here. One thing I do is um, 
I track every trade, right? I, I know when I enter, when I exit, you know, win, win, loss, et cetera, I, everything. Right. And um, I will also take a screenshot of the chart when it finishes, because you never know what's going to happen on the right side of the chart, right? The, the future. And then I'll, I'll drop that screen, screen grab into my, my log of trades. About a month or so goes by. Once a month, I'll do this. And I will take a look at every trade that I lost on. And then I'll then evaluate it as if, okay, I can see the future looking backward now. But at that time, let's say June 5th, right? I, I can see everything that's happened since June 5th to uh, July 5th. During that time, did I make the right choice? And I always come back to, as long as I followed my system, it was always the right choice, no matter what. Even if the stock just rocketed after that, which mm -hmm. sucks and it happens, did I make the right choice? Based on that limited, you know, synopsis of what I gave you there, what's your what's your what's your expert opinion on that process? It's it's uh, reasonably logically sound. I mean, confirmation bias is a huge problem for people, right? And and so that's what you're talking about. Or I should say hindsight bias. Well, they're both problems, but in this case, it would be hindsight bias, right? Which is a huge problem, right? It's like the I should have known that, you know, after effect when you see, you know, stocks rocket, especially in a position where maybe you get stopped out by, you know, a couple ticks and mm -hmm. then it just sort of races to what you expected it to do, right? And, and so some of the reason that that hindsight bias, you know, kind of perpetuates is because we believe that we can have the ability to know when that time is going to be that the the odds are going to be in our favor. It's like, you know, uh, you know, a poker player gets dealt pocket kings, and they decide to fold pre-flop because they know that the guy across from them has pocket aces. Right? That scenario never happens with with seasoned poker players because they know that they can't know that answer. Right. You just, you don't know when you're going to get it, quote, get like kind of sucked out as a trader. You don't know when you're going to have that probability be against you in that particular moment. So, you know, hindsight to me is really this fantasy that you can magically have infinite knowledge, right? And people don't think about it like that, but in that moment, right, the hindsight bias is really thinking that you have the ability at some point to predict the future and know that that trade is going to actually rocket, you know, and not uh, one that you, uh, you know, should stay on the sidelines for. Um, but again, the system says, don't get back in. So you don't get back in. And so, and then the, the other part is that people oftentimes have, you know, selective memory as well, right? They're going to pay attention to the instances where it did rocket and not the, the other percent of the time where it doesn't, right? Because that's, yeah. that doesn't fit like, again, this underlying kind of flaw that, so a lot of my system is really trying to, like identify what those underlying flaws are that create the emotional volatility that then forces our decisions to be poor, right? A lot of people think of the emotion as the problem, right? The greed, the anger, the fear, the confidence issues. Those are just sort of signals of confirmation bias or hindsight bias or many other flaws that I talk about in the book. So yeah, in, in the scenario that you're describing, from the way you describe it, you're, you're sort of free of that bias so that you're looking at you know, the results of the trade in a very sober, you know, kind of clear perspective, which then makes you more clear for the next trade you take. I think that's, that's a big problem for a lot of traders have too. a lot of traders have as well is that when you're thinking about past trades in a faulty way, 
you are basically guaranteed to think about future trades in a faulty way because you're practicing a state of mind. You're practicing a decision-making process that has inherent flaws in it. So, you know, I think another thing that, that is really good about what you're doing is that you are training your decision-making process. And, and for me, I look at, you know, whether you're a poker player, a trader, an esport athlete, because there's, these are non-physical, you know, types of endeavors. The technique resides in your mind, right? We think about decision-making like my golf swing, right? And there's a technique to it and the ways in which it gets off and the ways in which it breaks down can be analyzed. So when you're retrospectively going through those trades, you are training your decision-making process, which then makes it more likely that you'll go through that same process in future trades. So I, I like to put these off for about a month, like I said a minute ago, mainly so I can divorce myself of any emotions behind it. Do you feel that it's better suited to look at it that same day? Or do you feel that it's better suited to, to wait like I do? Well, now that you're saying you're trying to divorce yourself from the emotion, then maybe that's, maybe that's it, right? Maybe, maybe the, the waiting that long is actually a, a way of sort of satiating any of that emotion, you know? So I wouldn't necessarily say like, all right, let's just jump and, and do it daily, but maybe you just try out doing it weekly and see how much emotional volatility comes up from that. Mm -hmm. If there's a little bit, right, then, then there's something that's of interest here, right? Because I think what, what a lot of people don't realize is that when there are these emotions that get created, right? It means that there's a fundamental misperception that, that exists, right? There's a flaw, there's a bias, there's an illusion, right? Behind it, which is producing that emotion. These things are kind of like faulty code in software, right? They create these error messages and maybe blue screens, right? As you become like in a blind rage. And so on a day-to-day -day basis, it's hard to calculate, you know, the ways in which that's affecting you but it is. And, and we don't always know what that is until you've corrected it and you're on the other side of it. So yeah, I would suggest that you, you know, let's go to, let's go to weekly and see what that creates. And then if there's not really much there, then maybe you go to twice a week, you know, maybe on Wednesday. And then if, again, if there's, you know, something there, but not as much, you go to daily and really try to rip off the wound and see what actually comes out at the end of the day, maybe it's actually not that consequential. Maybe you were protecting yourself because you, you, you needed to protect yourself five years ago when you were a bit weaker strategy-wise and the, there was more emotion there. Uh, or maybe there actually is some fundamental bias that actually has to get corrected. And if you do, 100%, your mind will be more clear and, and more objective, both in terms of your analysis of your strategy you know, and the market, and then the interplay between those two things. One of the things that... Uh... So Mark Minervini, he was a 1997 U.S. investing champion. Uh, do you know Mark? Do you know of Mark? I mean, yeah, I know him. Sure. Yeah, I, I've been so fortunate, been able to uh, to chat with him a few times. Um, what he he's a huge huge advocate of the mental game, and uh, he talks about how if you don't have your mental space right, doesn't matter. You're never going to win, even if you've got the best setups in the world. You'll you'll throw them away. You'll ruin them. You'll you'll make the mistake subconsciously intentionally to to sabotage yourself how do you feel about that i mean it's true to a degree i think it depends on how severe your mentality is i mean i think some people have you know kind of worser c games you know there's a, a deeper bottom that they can go to psychologically than others so for some traders you know they're skilled enough and their mental state is strong enough that their relative weakness can still be profitable right it's not going to 
be optimal. They're not going to make as much money as they possibly can. They're going to, you know, close positions too early that turn into monsters. They're going to miss opportunities. Right. So it's really is relative. I think, um, you know, I'm not saying this just for Mark because I don't know him well enough. Um, but I think a lot of traders by and large, they tend to, um, when they're, when they're putting out psychological material, they tend to be a little bit biased in thinking that, you know, their experience is more, you know, kind of average and customary. Right. And so, you know, what I've seen with a lot of the, the clients that I work with and, you know, really what I've tried to do with the book is, is like, look at it more objectively. Here's sort of the, the Venn diagrams of the ecosystem of what traders typically experience. Some people are going to be kind of more biased towards, you know, fear and anger. Some people are going to be biased more towards confidence issues. Some have like an aggregate of all of them. Um, and so we kind of have to look a bit more objectively about what specifically for you is your, is your bottom? What, what, how deep can your, your C game go? And what do you got to work on in order to push that forward? Um, but yes, at the end of the day, if you have the skill and competency, then the mental game is valuable because it helps to extract the most value out of that, right? I think of it like the oil in an engine, right? You could have a freaking Ferrari engine, right? Capable of winning F1, you know, races, but if the car is not properly conditioned, if it's not maintained well enough, and certainly if there's not the right, you know, type of oil in that, in that engine, it'll seize, it'll break down and it will fail. And yes, the same thing can happen for your mind, your, your emotional state as it affects your, your, your trading competency. So, you know, I think a lot of my job really is, you know, the maintenance piece. And, you know, I think sometimes, sometimes traders uh, or people kind of question and are skeptical of like, all right, well, how can, you know, somebody who's not a trader be valuable? And, you know, the way I typically pitch it is like, I'm really, you know, the, the, the part of the pit crew, you know, I'm the, the engineer working on the mechanic, working on this race car, right? I don't need to be as good of a driver as you. I don't need to have that competency. I just need to know, you know, how to get this car in, in racing condition, uh, understand the conditions of competition to get it, get that ripe. Um, so yeah, the, and, and, and I guess the other pieces, and you mentioned the, uh, the intuition ebook, right? Intuition is sort of the, the peak of our mental experience, right? Real, real valuable intuition that happens in real time as you're trading is a byproduct of being in the zone, right? And sometimes traders think they're in the zone because the market's just full of activity and there's a lot going on, right? But you can be highly energized and not in the zone. When you are tapping into intuition, you're able to see opportunities you can't normally see and you can't always have full conscious ability to understand why it's correct to get in or get out or whatever the decision is. And so, so yeah, it's not just about like protecting your ass and protecting the downside, but also like how much are you giving up by not working on your mentality, not preparing yourself in the right way, right? Not keeping yourself conditioned well enough so that you can be accessing intuition more often. How do you feel about goal setting? Reason I ask is, is, you know, that's that's traditional, like self-help, self-development type thing is set your goals and work toward them every day. Break them down from your, your big goal into little pieces in order to make the big goal. However, with trading, I don't feel that goal setting is appropriate, at least not on a trade to trade basis. Because if let's say I'm getting in at the stock at 100 and my goal is it for it to hit 110, right? A 10% gain. Um, I have no control over that whatsoever. And by forcing my goal onto that stock, I'll probably make poor decisions. Do you feel that there should be goals in trading or that the goals should be to follow the process, right? Like it's not, I'm going to, and I'll change it a little bit to like an exercise analogy. The goal is not to, you know, lose 20 pounds, but the goal is to exercise every day. And if I exercise every day, 
by following the process, I will have then probably lost uh, maybe some of those 20 pounds. So I think from a trade by trade basis, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily call that a goal. Um, I would call that more just the execution of your strategy. I'd look a bit more, you know, on a daily time frame at a, at a minimum in terms of that scale. But I do think it's appropriate to set goals. I think, uh, you know, we can't make blanket statements for everybody. Like I said, there's too much variety, you know, in the industry because there's too much variety in people, right? Goals are important for motivation. They're important for focus. That's why we set goals. So for people who tend to lose motivation, you know, sideways market, right? And so they're going to kind of be, be liable to check out and, and they're going to miss opportunities because they're, they've allowed themselves, you know, to be a bit more loose with their focus, right? And, and, and with their energy. So in that scenario, yeah, setting goals to, let's say, take five trades today, you know, on, the, on paper may sound like, well, I don't want to force it, right? So you, you add a caveat that says, I want to take five trades within my system, right? That are well-executed trades, but I want to have the energy and the intensity to be there, right? And be, you know, committed to my process. So, you know, we set results-oriented goals like that, but then you're right. We have to kind of back it up with, with the process-oriented ones, you know, the, the quality-oriented things that, that become the how you end up achieving that, that outcome of, of, you know, five, you know, well-executed trades on a, you know, in a sideways market. Um, and, and that kind of relationship between process and results, I think is very important. Um, for some people, again, if they don't set the result goal, then it's too easy for them, for their process to just kind of meander, right? For some people who are, uh, you know, too process oriented, you know, then the process is allowed to meander because they don't have the, uh, you know, the, the end goal that they're really after. But, you know, in trading like poker, short-term variability suggests that we can't make, you know, firm determinations on money, right? And, and, and P&L or, you know, uh, ROI or however you're, you're calculating it. Uh, so again, I think you can still set it, but set some variability to it, right? If variance is in my favor, here's a top end target that is reasonable in this month, right? Here's a bottom end one if it goes really bad, right? And so you're looking, you know, a bit more kind of broadly at what you're aiming at. And for some people that's helpful for others, it's not useful. So again, I think there's, there's a lot of variety and there's a lot of ways to do it. So I'm going to take this one, one step deeper. So imagine, you know, this is uh, someone's first time listening to a trading podcast and they're like, I don't care what these guys are talking about. I just want a Lambo. A Lambo is my goal. How, what kind of process and goal setting and all that stuff would we get to the Lambo, right? The Lambo is my goal. So how do we get there, Jared? I mean, you got to break it out. I mean, you know, it's, it's all right. Well, what am I doing in this, in the next month to put me in that, in that position? And do I have an idea of how long it's going to reasonably take me to get there? The other thing we're going to do is, is we're not going to just focus on the Lambo itself uh, because do you want a Lambo and, you know, be renting an apartment for a grand a month? You know, like what, what's, what is the Lambo? How does the Lambo fit within your life? Because if you get the Lambo in that situation, you're very likely to lose the Lambo. So it's not just about getting the Lambo, it's keeping the Lambo and having it fit within a broader, you know, kind of vision for what your life looks like. You know, you got to bake it out because, <clears throat> you know, 80% of lottery winners, they're broke and back to their prior income status within three to five years. And sadly, that's actually true of NFL players and NBA players, right? Maybe the, maybe the stats have changed a little bit, but three to five years after they retire, they are back to where they were 
uh, before, which is incredibly sad for people that work so hard to get there. But uh, the, the point being there that there's a, a big skill deficit in the ability to kind of manage money at that level. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I sometimes you're going to have to think beyond the target. And when we look at, at most athletes, right, they think through the target, right. You know, as a football player, you're taught not to hit the player, but hit through them as a golfer, you're taught not to hit at the ball, but hit through it to your target. Right. So we can look at the finish line as being the Lambo, but you have to look on the other side of it. Otherwise you're liable to, you know, be a bit too kind of tunnel visioned and you might get what you want, but then you might lose it. And I think that's the, the, one of the most painful thing is, is to have a lot of success and then have it, uh, you know, gone. You know, I, I had a personal experience with that. Um, my wife's father passed away when he did, uh, she is one of four children. Uh, they all got a, a, a six figure life insurance payout and, um, me being in finance, I was like, we're paying off all of our debt, we're buying a new house. I mean, we're going to live good. Right. So, um, within a year we had either paid off debts or invested nearly all of it. Right. And I felt very confident with that. Like these are long-term plays here. I have no regrets. One of her siblings went through eight cars in one year and had literally no dollars left to show at, at the end of it. Wow. One of her siblings, um, just, just spent it. I mean, literally was like, this is the good life. It's never going to end. I'm going to spend it all. And how, how does someone mentally overcome that? And, and, you know, going back to your lottery winner football player example, how do we make sure we don't get to that point? Right. Let's say we are super successful in trading. We've done it, Jared. We've hit our uh, seven figure bank account. We've got the Lambo in the driveway. How do we make sure we don't go back? I mean, I think you got to understand that, uh, you know, more money, more problems. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a different skill set. Uh, you know, I've got a, a, a client who, you know, has eight figures in the bank or not, I shouldn't say the bank, but in assets because of crypto, you know, he was a poker player and leveraged his success, you know, early in 2013, 14, and, you know, has done really well. And, you know, uh, but he firmly understands that we talk a lot about this, right. That it is complicated to manage a portfolio of, you know, 15 to $20 million of assets. Right. And some of it is in, in it's, it's diversified. It's in real estate, it's in crypto, it's in, you know, traditional, uh, you know, instruments, but it's complicated. He has had to develop the competency to be able to do that. And it hasn't come easily because it hasn't, he's had to go out and seek out the people, you know, to help him with that. So you got to have, again, we've talked about the, at the, at the outside of the podcast, like you got to have the honesty of, of where your skill set really lies and to, to have the ability to understand that, you know, things change. There's an evolution, right, to your skill set that needs to keep occurring as you accrue more, more capital and, 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 you know, more things. I mean, um, I've experienced this, right, as a homeowner, right, as somebody that's raising a child and has a wife and has a lot of responsibilities and, you know, continually having to kind of level up my game just as the operator of my own life. Right. And I I think there's this, this mythology, right. That, that like, you know, if you have all this money, you know, you're going to be in this like kind of fantasy world. Like it's the, it's the end, like everything will be easy and you will never experience pain or emotion, emotional downsides again. And, and, and I think for some people, you know, unfortunately, like they're seeking that as a way to counterbalance the pain that they currently experience now. 
right? So that, that's another way to ask yourself. So that's another way to protect yourself is to ask yourself, what's your motivation behind wanting the Lambo? And, and is it because you're looking to eviscerate all of the past failures and pains of your life? Because if you feel like you've got this thing or you've attained this level of income, then all of your past failures are just kind of, you know, gone and, and you'll never see that again. And you're kind of in this sort of, you know, heavenly state where, where everything's easy. You know? Jared, I was told that when you have a Lambo, you don't have any more problems because you have a Lambo. <laughs> so I, I, I made the mistake of uh, uh, <laughs> buying a, a BMW convertible, right? Here's, here's the, you know, I'm renting an apartment and, and, you know, it's got these thin rim tires and of course it gets a bubble in it. And so freaking tires, like 350 or 400 bucks, like what the heck, like what? You know, you just, you don't even think about like, I don't even know. I mean, I'm guessing that the, like a, a, a replacement tire on that Lambo is probably a grand or two, you know, the oil change on that thing, the maintenance on that thing. Like, right. You don't think about uh, what it takes to sustain this stuff. Right. Or even like a catastrophic, like engine or transmission failure. You're talking, oh, you know, multi five figures probably like to get you back driving on the street. I mean, that yeah. thing is going to bottom out somewhere. Right. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. inevitable. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, Jared, I, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation, but I really want to get more into the mental game of trading the book, right? So you, you mentioned several times your system. I'm assuming this is not the, uh, the three-step system where you just follow these two lines on a chart and you'll be good to go. I assume it's not that kind of system. Tell me more about you know, your system. You, you just, all you have to do is read the first 10 pages and you're good. You That's know, all I, I, if yeah, I, I read more than 10 pages, that is no, <laughs> actually one of my, my, uh, my goals this year, you talked, we talked about goals earlier is, uh, to read a hundred different books. Um, I'm at, uh, 69 so far and it's July. Um, yeah, pretty happy with that. Now, a lot of these are, um, Book, uh, fiction, like five, five no, not kid books. Come on now, Jared, you know me better than that already. No, uh, I do a lot of audiobooks. Um, uh, I do, um, nonfiction and fiction. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, when, when you set the priority to get it done, it, it helps a lot. Right. And then I'll go through like, like phases, right? Some books will be on uh, entrepreneurship. Some books will be on trading. Some books will be on personal development and I'll just have like a block and I'll just go through that block. This is going to go into uh, my, my reading queue for the rest of the year. But tell me more about the system. And, and am I going to find this, this system inside of your book here? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, okay. that's, that's so like, I, you know, the system has been evolving for 16 years, really probably 20 years since I started with my master's program. Um, and it's it's become more systematized, right? I mean, that's that's the thing is the thing, this thing is is pretty tight. So the system has some, you know, kind of general principles that, you know, are true for all of us because we're human beings, right? And so, you know, we're looking at specifically that the emotional system has a functional power to shut down higher brain function. And those higher brain functions include decision-making and planning and thinking, right? If you, you know, can, can, you know, imagine like the space in your mind where you actually have a thought right? That's in a space that the emotional system has the power to shut down. And now a lot of you are, you in particular, are probably thinking through your decisions as you're making trades. Well, the emotional system has the power to shrink that space, right? And if you're, you're unaware- You're saying of, like, like, if I'm scared of losing money, then it shrinks down my ability to make the decisions. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, okay. 
So, so let's just say that, uh, you know, you think about seven different factors and I'm not going to exclude it to seven, but let's just assume that that's true. You know, now your, uh, emotions are, are not like crazy hot, but they're hot enough where now it's shrinked down to five problem is you're not always aware of what's missing. And so, especially when we're talking about like revenge trading, right now it's down to three and, and you are kind of couched in the self justification that any of these excuses that kind of come to mind at that time uh, are justified. And so you don't have all the check boxes, you know, uh, checked off, freaking things is fired off, right? So you need to understand that the emotional system has that power. And because of that, uh, you know, one of the responsibilities um, of the, 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 the sort of higher brain function is actually emotional control. So the emotions have the power to shut down the part of the brain responsible for controlling it, okay? fundamental reality that we cannot change. However, right, what the system does, because it's operating under this umbrella of reality of how we operate, we have to map our pattern for how greed and fear and anger and confidence and discipline issues emerge. And we can do that because, you know, all of you are very skilled at recognizing patterns, right? You're recognizing patterns in the market, recognizing the patterns in, in, in particular positions or, or, or symbols turn that on yourself, right? Start to, to study and look specifically at the reactions that you have in real time. And when you do that, we can start to create a scale. So when greed is at level one, when fear is at level one, here's what it looks like. Here are the thoughts that come to mind. Here are the physical sensations that I have. Um, you know, I had a trader who, and he's featured in the book, um, his first signal for greed was, was beginning to think about the utility of the money, right? So trade position comes up, all of a sudden he sees, oh man, I could make 5K here. That's gonna pay for my, my, uh, yes. my rent for the month, right? Or whatever it is. And so when he's thinking about the utility of the money, it's, it became an instant trigger or a cue for him to recognize, oh man, right? Greed is beginning to affect my perception. Now at that level, it wasn't gonna change the trade but it certainly might trade how he handles the exit, right? Because yeah. now he may try to push it a little bit more or, right? So the point is that you can study and, and map these patterns. And the more that you do that, you can create a scale all the way up to when it's at its absolute worst. And, and you need to do that because you have to take action before the emotional system has hijacked your higher brain function, your ability to think and make decisions, right? And so for this particular trader, he also recognized as he was continuing to study his pattern that actually that wasn't the first signal. The first signal was opening up his, his brokerage account and looking at his P&L. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because right? when you're in a, in, a, in a sober state of mind, you don't care. That's not part of your, your decision-making process. So my point in, in giving you those sort of two data points is that it doesn't matter where you or anybody who's listening to this are, you have a certain degree of awareness or recognition or ability to map your pattern right now. And if you continue to pay attention to it in real time, like have a, you know, a notepad or a word doc open while you're trading, take notes, right. And, and the book walks you through this process of how, you know, what you're trying to, what data you're trying to grab, start taking notes. You do it day over day over day. You start to iterate on it. You start to consolidate it um, on my website. Uh, you can download worksheets, that will help you to organize your, your actual kind of, uh, you know, uh, the, the mapping process, right? And so you create these maps, you create a, a draft, 
right? Then you keep going, right? The, the example I gave, it took him two weeks, you know, to create the first data point as, as precisely as he did. And then it was another two weeks until we got the next one. Now there were other data points in here, but my point is like the, the iteration, the evolution of this will continue to go until you're like, man, I got this thing licked. I got it nailed. Right. So, so recognition in real time is the most important, most important first step of the system because it gives you the ability to have a chance at gaining some control before the problem gets too big. Because if your emotions get too big and you get to level, say, seven or eight out of 10, right? So he's gone from two to seven, emotional system has shrunk. Your ability to gain control at that time is very, very limited, right? And you're, you're basically almost kind of guaranteed, if not very, very likely to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I tell people all the time on the podcasts and courses and everything, I say, turn off your PL. Do not. Do not look at, at the top of the screen where it shows your, your running balance. Do not look at your open PL and all the trades. The only thing that matters is when you're reviewing it afterward, did you follow your process? If you followed your process, then the money should automatically come, right? There's no reason whatsoever. And I, I'm a huge advocate of that because it will change your mindset, right? If you're if you're looking at it and saying, oh, I just got enough to uh, you know, pay for pay for the mortgage for the month, or conversely, I just lost this map of what the mortgage would cost this month, right? Those are very strong emotions when you realize that it could make or break the difference between, you know, you being comfortable in your home or you being out on the street. Not that it would happen one month at a time, but the idea is that the utility of money and tied to the dollar value should, it, it totally, in my opinion, totally jacks up trading. And that's why people fail at it is because they, they use so much of that mental mental space to talk to themselves about how it's going. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge advocate of just turning off your PL totally. Um, and, and at least for me, that does a lot. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you my, my thoughts on this. Um, so I, I agree 100% in the short term with that strategy. Long term, it's more sophisticated. It's, it's stronger from a, a psychological standpoint to be able to have the PL there and have it either not matter or, or have it have some utility to your decision-making because maybe you understand, you know, how many bullets you have in the chamber to be able to make some, some decisions or some moves that allow you to kind of maneuver some, you know, different spots and, and the institutional traders are able to do that. Yeah. So I'm not saying that that needs to happen now, but like over the long <clears throat> term, you can kind of push yourself to identify the underlying flaws that create an attachment to that PL in real time you can correct those flaws and then your attachment changes and your ability to, to see it as a data point, not as something that is meaningful kind of outside of the trading space, you know, can emerge. So, you know, again, I think there's a lot of these types of like crutches that traders use and they need to use them because you're developing and you're getting better and you're, you're leveling up. And so if you, you know, take on all of it all at once, like you're just going to get destroyed. Right. Yeah, so for sure. You know, we need to have those, those sort of kind of, it's almost like you're kind of scaling into your career in a sense. Right. Um, but you know, I, I like to think aspirationally and, and pushing people to, you know, to be as great as they possibly can. So that's why I kind of pose it as an option, not for the, you know, infinite long-term. Speaking of as great as they possibly can, I think they're going to have to uh, pick up the mental game of trading, which we'll have linked down below. Easy to get to Jared. This has been quite the enlightening conversation. I, I appreciate you going through all this, taking all my questions. Cause you know, uh, my actually, Funny story. My wife also uh, went to school for counseling and has a master's in counseling. And anytime I talk money, 
uh, she glazes over faster than a donut. So I can't talk to this, to her about this kind of stuff. So it's nice to be able to, uh, to talk to people, smart, smart people like you that I get to have on the podcast every week. So Jared, we want to make sure everyone goes to Amazon. Like I said, picks up the, the book down below. Also head over to jaredtindler.com to get your intuition ebook totally for free. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, this is definitely going to go into my book queue uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, right now, I just finished uh, Tools of Titans and um, Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. You know, I couldn't do those in physical books. I tried, but they're so freaking thick, right? They're like 900 pages each. I was like, these are going to have to be Audible books. Um, so yeah, and they were like 19 hours each on Audible. Yeah, they, they were for a while. Now you also have uh, some Audible links on here. Is this book on Audible right now? It is, yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's my voice too. So oh, look at that! <laughs> <laughs> Very cool, Jared. We will make sure that everybody gets uh, you know at least six or eight copies for themselves and to share with uh, with their friends and family. And you know, not only for trading, but Jared also talks about the mental game of poker. He's got two books on that as well. Jared, this has been a fantastic interview. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to go through our, all, all this with us. What parting words of wisdom could you leave us with today? Just to do the, to do the work. I mean, I think, you know, we, we kind of joked about it a few minutes ago about, you know, osmosis is the only, is, is uh, you know, your easy way to mental mastery. But, you know, the reality is like being able to become proficient psychologically in the way that you want to be as a trader. Um, it just takes work, just like becoming a skilled trader does too. And so I think a lot of times, you know, the trading psychology material that's been out there is very good. I, I, I don't denigrate it by any means, but where it leaves off, I pick up on and, and kind of take the theory and the ideas and turn it into a system that you can use on a daily basis in a very practical, meaningful way to improve in the way that you want to. But you, this is not a book like Trading in the Zone or you know Trading Psychology, where you can read and pick up a lot of tips and it's going to kind of help you. This is a book that you got to be prepared to work at. I'm not saying that the advice that I give throughout some of these chapters, you know, you can't just kind of pick up easily. But to really make the system work for you, you got to do the work. I love it. Actually, I've I've read tra Trading in the Zone twice now, so that's yeah, uh, sure. by Mark Douglas. Yeah. Uh, and actually, while we were talking, I was like, I wonder how this relates to Mark. But I think you just kind of nailed that on the head. You take Mark's principles and make them more better. That's one of the words I like. Yeah, I know I, it's not I, right, I, I but mean, I like to say that. If I was if I was pitching to a new to a new trader, I would say read read trading the zone first. Right, that's a, it's a great primer. It gets you thinking like a trader, right? And I think that's that's super important. And and what Mark does, I can't do. But where Mark leaves off is where I pick up, and and it's the same in you know in poker and trading, uh, in poker and esports, right? Operate like there's a certain ways you need to be thinking as a competitor, right? Think of yourself as a competitor here. Um, and so, yeah, it, now it's like, all right, my bread and butter is for the traders. I certainly, again, beginners can pick it up just to give them a primer for what they're going to be doing in the future. Cool. But really it's like the traders that's got like a year or two in under their belt and obviously more who are ready to kind of separate, uh, you know, some of the psychological reactions that they're having and really do the work to fix problems, you know, and, and be able to maximize their ability to you know, access intuition more often. So that that's my bread and butter. Mark's book and my book, put them together, winning combo. Perfect. Well, Jared, really appreciate your time today. This has been awesome. Good to talk to you, Chris. Thanks so much for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys for tuning in to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, and enable notifications. That way you never miss 
any of the tools, tips, and tricks we upload every single week to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. Okay, so what'd you think? That was pretty incredible, right? Now, if you like that, that's only a taste, only a sample of what you're gonna find in the full AI stock trading system. And I really highly encourage you to go and check this out. Obviously, you are interested in learning and how to trade, and that's why you're listening to this podcast. Now, I'm going to take and download my entire trading system that I use day in and day out onto you. <laughs> and the only way I'm going to be able to do that is over at the AIStockTradingSystem.com. You're going to get phase one, two, and three, several bonuses. And on top of that, I'm going to walk you through over a dozen trades that I put on inside of my account, holding your hand and showing you exactly how I got in, how I got out, how I use the artificial intelligence data, and how this could work inside of your own trading portfolio on a daily basis. So make sure you head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com to learn more and to get started and to download my decade plus worth of trading experience into your hands so you can start using the AI Stock Trading System today, the five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading. Hey, if you like this video, let me know by leaving me a like below and then subscribe and share it with somebody you think could use it as well. Be sure to comment below with your biggest takeaway from this episode and any suggestions you have for future episodes. And finally, make sure you watch these other videos to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. TimMinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. TimMinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit TimMinuteStockTrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.